A young mother in my former church was an occupational therapist. And she came down with an ear condition that caused vertigo. The doctors were not able to treat it, nor were they able to hear it, or excuse me, heal it. And uh, she was in danger of losing her job and actually her career because the vertical impaired her performance as a therapist. And so she came to the spiritual leaders of our church, and she asked us to anoint her with oil and to pray over her, which we did. Within weeks, the condition was gone. And she not only kept her job, but continued in her career. All God's people said, Amen. She told me that she believed her healing had come about because the Lord had healed her through the spiritual leaders of our church. And as I've thought back on that experience, um, I've drawn two conclusions, and I just want to share them with you this morning. Number one, anointing of oil and prayer by the elders is God's method of faith healing. The passage we're going to look at today in James is the only passage in the New Testament that teaches us how to heal the sick. And this is God's method. Secondly, if we believe this, we need never seek a faith healer. If you have godly elders in your church, and every church should then there is no need for a faith healer. Now, if you're like me, you have lots of questions about this. And so this morning, I want us to turn to James chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. And let's look together at God's method of faith healing. And there are a number of questions that are answered by the Word of God, and it's always just the way we should do it. When we have questions about something, we go to God's Word, and we look for the answers. And so here are the, quest- here are the questions that I think come right out of this passage. Who requests it? What does the oil mean? Why should we uh, confess sin? Why is that involved? What is the prayer of faith? And then, as we conclude... What are some lessons about prayer that we learn? Let's take a moment, shall we, and just pray together and ask the Lord to guide us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that your Bible includes for us many answers to the questions that we have. And we thank you for the times in which we have seen you extend your healing grace. And we thank you for the other lessons that you teach us during times of illness. And so now, guide us through your word. Help us to gain understanding, to trust you, to believe you, and to be people of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's notice this opening question, who makes the request? And according to this passage, it is the sick person who does. Look with me, if you would at verse 13, and notice what it says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, why is it laid down here that the sick person makes this request? Well, I think there are reasons that are related to the ill person, and then I think reasons that are related to the elders. So let's look at the ones related to the ill person. This text makes it very clear the one who is ill is to summon the elders of the church. And I think there's a practical reason. The word sick here is a word that means deathly sick. And so it is very possible that the sick person may be so sick they simply cannot get to church. And so they call the elders to come to their home. But I think there's also a spiritual reason involved here. The faith of the person is very important for genuine healing. Remember what Jesus said to the two blind men. He said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please God. So the request for this prayer and anointing of oil must come from a person who is seeking God in His will. This comes from somebody who wants to be right with the Lord and wants to accept the Lord's plan for their life. It comes from somebody who strongly feels the Lord is moving them to do this. Now that tells us who should not do this. Uh, This is not to be used as a last-ditch effort by somebody who says, all right, I'll try anything. That's clearly not what is involved here. Now, I think there are some reasons also related to the elders. Why is it that the person is to call on the elders rather than the other way around? Well, I think it's very clear that the elders are not to form a faith-healing team and going around seeking to heal people. You see, the purpose of the church is to heal sick souls from sin, not to heal sick bodies from sickness. And throughout the history of the church, whenever the church gets on a healing crusade, the gospel often gets lost, doesn't it? And people are attracted to the church for lesser needs rather than for their greatest need. Now, God is very much concerned about our bodies, isn't He? I mean, this text would not be here if God were not concerned about our bodies, but our greatest need is the healing of our souls. And so it is not wrong for the elders to suggest to somebody Maybe you should call on us so that you can be anointed with oil and we can pray over you. But the elders are not to promote themselves as somehow being a team of faith healers. Secondly, what does the oil in this passage mean? Let me give to you what I think are two improbable views, but they are views that have been advanced about what the oil in verse 14 means. Some teach that this is a reference to extreme unction, more commonly known as the last rites. That is a practice of anointing the sick, especially 
when it is administered to the dying. Now let me just be real clear here. This text gives us no hint that this is a sacrament that is designed to prepare dying people to enter heaven. That practice is found nowhere in God's Word. Rather, the purpose here is to help sick people stay on earth. So it is totally the opposite of what is often practiced in the last rites. Uh, Here's another possibility. Some suggest the oil here is to be used like medicine. You may recall when the Good Samaritan found this Jewish person in the parable who had been beaten and left for dead, that he poured oil on his wounds as a form of medicine. It's interesting that the Good News Bible here translates this, rub olive oil on them. And I have to tell you, that really appeals to me. Because it solves the problem of cults who reject doctors. If we take this interpretation, what this is then telling us is that God uses both prayer and medicine, and it resolves the problem of those who want to say, well, if you got enough faith, you don't need doctors. Uh, can I be very clear and say the Bible doesn't teach that? Now, as attractive as this interpretation is to me, I don't think that's the point here either. I think that the oil is very clearly symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The oil represents the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to heal. I won't ask you to go there with me, but in Mark 7, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two. And He gives them authority. He gives them power. And one of the things He says is, as you go out, anoint the sick with oil that they may be healed. And it seems to me that since this is the very first book in the New Testament, uh, telling us uh, how it is that we are to go about healing spiritually within the church, that this follows the instructions that Jesus gave to the apostles so that the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. I like a slide that I came across this week, and by the way, as you know, throughout the Bible, olive oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But I love this little slide that I came across, and I think it really gives us exactly the point. This symbol of the Holy Spirit emphasizes the consecration and enablement of the Holy Spirit's anointing grace, the illumination of His teaching, and the soothing balm of healing that comes from His touch. And so what the elders are doing is they are saying, Lord, we consecrate this person to You. And we ask for the healing power of the Holy Spirit in their life. And the oil represents we are dependent upon Him. Now the third question that comes up is this one. Why must there be confession of sin? Look at what verse 15 and 16 says. 
And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, you notice here the answer to this question. Why must there be confession of sin? And the answer is very clear. Sin hinders prayer. Now, there are many, many verses in the Bible that teach this. I think one of the clearest is Psalm 66, 18. In fact, uh, read this with me. Here's the very interesting question that we could ask ourselves. Who can pray? Notice what Psalm 66, 18 says. Let's read it together. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, would you please notice, this does not say to us that sinners cannot pray. Otherwise, None of us could pray, right? <laughs> so, so that's clearly not what this verse is saying. The key to it is the word cherished. That's an interesting word. It means to choose or to enjoy something. When you cherish something, you want it. And the reason you want it is because you enjoy it. And so what the Lord is saying to us is if we are in a pattern where we are choosing sin and enjoying sin because that's what we want in our life, then God does not answer prayers that come from hearts like that because we are going deliberately in the opposite direction of the Lord. As we think about this then, when is confession needed before oil is applied by the elders and they pray? Well, I think there are two, two reasons, two times when confession is needed. Number one, when the illness is because of sinfulness. When the illness is caused by a person's sin. Uh, sometimes the Bible teaches us that people are ill because uh, their sins have brought illness on them. That was the case with the Corinthians. You remember how they were mistreating one another, and they were disrespecting the Lord's table. And the Apostle Paul says about them in 1 Corinthians 11.30, many of you are sick and are weakly. And so their sin had brought illness upon them. And sometimes sin creates an illness, and when that's the case, we have to confess that sin. We primarily confess it to the Lord. We confess it to others who have been wronged. Sometimes in a situation like this, we may want to confess it to the elders as a means of saying to them, I know that I'm wrong, and I confess that I'm wrong, and I want to get it right with God. But that's a time when confession has to happen. Uh, by the way, can I be very careful to add here? We have to be very careful that we are not like Job's three friends. 
Not all sickness is the result of sin. Did you notice here in verse 15, it says, if he has committed sins. And we have to be very, very careful that we do not assume that because someone is ill, that that means they have done something wrong. That would never be warranted. I had a professor in Bible college who's now with the Lord, and I'll never forget the day sitting in class, he said, one of the things that burns me up is when people assume that because something bad has happened to somebody, they've done something to deserve it. He said, it burns me up when I hear people say, well, I wonder what they did wrong to deserve that. And we have to be very, very careful. I think it's very, very clear when we know that sickness has been caused by sin. I think there's no doubt about it so that we don't have to wonder. Here's the second time when I think confession is needed. When illness makes us aware of waywardness. When illness makes us aware of waywardness. One of the things the Bible teaches is that sometimes God uses sickness to get our attention. We may be out of the will of God and we're just sort of cruising through life, ignoring heaven, All of a sudden, we become deathly ill. We begin to realize our own mortality, and we start to think about spiritual things. If we call for the elders, we need to confess and repent of the waywardness of our life as we have been living life and ignoring God. I think in the Old Testament, Hezekiah is a beautiful illustration of this. Keep your finger here and turn back with me to 2 Kings 20. And notice verses 1 to 6. God came to Hezekiah and said he was going to die. Now, we're not told that it was because of sin. We're not even told that it was because of waywardness. But I want you to notice how Hezekiah humbled himself And God responded to his prayer by healing him and giving him 15 more years of life. Look at 2 Kings 20 and look at verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus the Lord says, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. What a beautiful illustration this is. Now apply it to us. 
If we've been living a, a wayward life, which Hezekiah was not, but that causes us to recognize, perhaps through some illness, that we've been living life on our terms, been living life ignoring God, and now all of a sudden we are beginning to think once again of God and His will and His purposes for our life, and we call for the elders to come and anoint us with oil and pray over us, it seems to me that just as Hezekiah humbled himself and confessed his need of God, so that becomes a time in which confession, confession is needed. May I just say to you that sometimes this is how I pray for sick people. I pray for a lot of ill people, some who are not walking with God and should know better. And as I pray for them personally, I will say something sort of like this, Lord, I, I do pray for their healing. I pray that you might bring them back to full strength and health. But Lord, I know that their greatest need is not a physical one, it is a spiritual one. And far greater than their healing physically is their healing spiritually. So I will often pray in this way, Lord, use this illness to get their attention and bring them back to you. And so those are two times when confession is needed. When we know my illness is because of sin, and when my illness makes me aware that I have really not been living for God at all. Let's look at the next question. The next question is, what is the prayer of faith? You notice this in verse 15. He says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. What is this prayer of faith? And I think there are a couple of things that are involved here. Number one, I think that there is confidence that the elders have of an awareness from God that the person is going to be healed. Do you know this phrase, uh, the prayer of faith, occurs only here in the Bible? It's found nowhere else but right here, the prayer of faith. So what this tells me is this is not an ordinary prayer. It is a very special prayer that God grants when He has made His will clear. It is a conviction by the Holy Spirit given to the elders an awareness that God intends to heal this person. And by the way, this is all the elders that are praying. All the elders. So that if this awareness comes, it would be an awareness that all of them have a conviction that God is planning to heal. Very interesting, as I was preparing for this message, I read about Pastor Warren Wearsby's experience when he was still a pastor. And I thought what he had to say was very, very helpful because I, I think it reflects what most of the time we as elders feel 
when we are anointing people with oil and praying over them. Listen to what he said. As I visit the sick among my congregation, I do not always know how to pray for them. By the way, Paul had the same problem. Read Romans 8.26. Is it God's will to heal? Is God planning to call his child home? I do not know. Therefore, I must pray, if it is your will, heal your child. Those who claim that God heals every case and that it is not his will for his children to be sick are denying both scripture and experience. But where we have the inner conviction from the word and the spirit that it is God's will to heal, then we can pray the prayer of faith and we can expect God to work. Now I know what the next question is. Pastor, what if God does not grant the prayer of faith and the elders are not convinced of healing? What do we say then? Well, then what I would say is a second answer to this question. We must have submission to the decision of God. We must have submission to the decision of God. You know, when Ellen and I were in the early years of our marriage, we discovered that we had infertility. We were not able to have natural-born children because we could not conceive. We went through a number of infertility treatments, both for Ellen and for myself, and none of those treatments worked. And so we called on the spiritual leaders of our church, and we asked them to anoint us with oil and to pray over us that God might heal us of infertility. I think you know what God did. God had a different plan for us. In fact, during that time, I realized that God had three plans for us, and we had to submit to all three. One, He could have healed us, and we could have had natural-born children. Two, He could have allowed us to adopt children and have children that way. Or three, He could give us no children and work in our life to cause us to be content without children. And we had to submit to His will. We had to say, Lord, whatever you decide, that's what we choose. And of course you know, it was option two that God blessed us with. You see, God is sovereign. And I have to be honest and say, I've never been in a situation where I felt I knew God's will. And I have to sort of be like Pastor Wearsby who said this. Keep in mind that it is not one individual who is praying, it is the body of elders, spiritual men of God, who seek God's will and pray. James does not instruct the believer to send for a faith healer. The matter is in the hands of the leaders of the local church. And then in the sovereign hand of God. To do what he decides is best. Now there's a final question. The final question is, 
What lessons do we learn about prayer? And I think there are at least these three. And as we close the message time today, let's just uh, focus on what the Lord would teach us about prayer. Number one, God wants us to be praying people. Did you notice that the whole theme of this section is really not healing, but prayer? Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise, which is a form of prayer. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders to pray. The real theme of this final section here, verses 13 to 18, is prayer. And what he is saying to us is that prayer as a body of believers should be constant in our lives, and it should be constant in our church. It should be something that we resort to constantly and regularly as individuals as well as a body of believers. God wants us to be a praying people. Second, through prayer, ordinary people can accomplish extraordinary results. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Isn't that an amazing thing? Elijah was a believer just like we are. He was afraid at one point and he ran. How many times have we done that? He was discouraged and he wanted to quit. How many times have I done that? In fact, he was so depressed, he said, Lord, I want to die. I don't even want to continue. My goodness, he was a man very much like us. And yet his prayers controlled the rainfall for three and a half years. Wow. If God could do that in response to Elijah's prayer, what could he do in response to our prayer? You see, even ordinary people can accomplish extraordinary results through prayer. And then finally, I think we see this very carefully. The key to a powerful prayer life is a holy life. Did you see that? The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. One of the reasons for confession of sin to God primarily and to one another, those have been affected by our sin and making it right, is because when our lives are holy and our lives are righteous, that gives us a clear path to God in prayer. And God says that He will respond to the prayer of a person who is dealing with sin in their life and seeking to live a righteous life that pleases Him. 
So the key for us to be powerful in prayer is to be right with God. And right with one another in the way that we live. It's interesting as I thought about this. Back in 1998, Dr. James Dobson suffered a life-threatening stroke. At that time, you know that he was the head of the ministry that he founded and that does great good across the country and the world, focus on the family. And in August of that year, he sent out this letter. And listen to what he said. He said, Dear friends, I suffered a stroke on June 16, 1998 that could have ended my work or even my life. A tiny blood clot about the size of a pencil lead suddenly developed and lodged itself in the left temporal lobe. It was a critical place to have a stroke. Neurologists refer to that part of the brain as the eloquence cortex, responsible for speech, creativity, and understanding. Can you imagine Dr. Dobson without those three things? He said, I arrived at the hospital emergency room. I could not communicate at all. I was unable to identify common objects or even touch my thumb to my forefinger. It was a terrifying experience for my wife, Shirley. That's when our friends, perhaps a million strong, began petitioning the Lord on my behalf. It is wonderful to tell you that the great physician heard those prayers, and has clearly healed me. Within a week, I was out of the hospital and back to work. Two physicians said they had never seen anyone recover from that kind of stroke so quickly. I also want to express appreciation, especially to the neurologists, who administered a powerful but risky drug called tissue plasminogen, Activator. You have no idea how long I practiced those three words. Or TPA. Within 24 hours, I was on my way to recovery. One of the neurologists said the next morning, You had an angel sitting on your shoulder. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's the God that we love and serve. Follow. Let's thank Him, shall we, for His goodness. Lord God, truly we are a blessed people. We live in a country with the best medical treatment in the world. There's probably not a one of us here today whose health has not been healed or recovered in some wonderful way by physicians and doctors and the medical advances that 
are such a help to our lives. But then, Lord, above and beyond that, we have a sovereign God who is capable of all things, who created our bodies by His mighty power, who knows that we are but dust and has compassion upon us, and who effortlessly can heal us if you so choose to do. We thank you, Father, too, that your word is very clear to keep us from the path of charlatans, those who present themselves in a false manner as having powers from you that they really don't have. And we thank you that if we are a church with godly elders, and we believe we have that here at Bethel, we are truly blessed. Thank you, Father, for the testimony of those, even within our own church, who have experienced a dramatic healing because we have obeyed your word. For the rest of us, Lord, we know that the greater healing, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of the new birth and the transformation of a life when the Holy Spirit comes to live within and makes us new in Christ. And every person here today who is a believer in Jesus is in that sense a walking miracle. And we do submit, Lord, to Your will. You are the Sovereign One, we are not, and You have purposes sometimes for illness that we must admit and recognize. And we look forward to the day when Jesus comes again and we will be healed completely forever. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Our bodies will be made like unto the glorious body of the Lord Jesus, and forever we will be sickness-free for all eternity. How we love you for that. We pray in Jesus' name.